Today is the candle of peace. But for some of you, your idea of peace is a beautifully packaged gift with the bow on top. You're like, life should be like that, right? Every perfect end of the bow, perfectly set, inches apart. But the reality is of life is it's never like that. Life is not a pretty package, right? For some of you came in, and this is disturbing you. This is disturbing you, right? I'm going to make it a little closer, okay? Let's get a little more uncomfortable. Because life is never a pretty package. Even God's story was not a pretty package. Listen to this. He was born amongst barn animals in a cave, placed in a stone-feeding trough called a manger. His life at two years old was threatened to be murdered by King Herod. He lived, our king was a refugee in a pagan place called Egypt for a time. He was a refugee. He was raised when they came back to Israel in a backwards place like Nazareth of Galilee, which is the backwoods or the wrong side of the tracks in Israel. A place that faced prejudice from their own countrymen because they were born in the wrong region and talked with funny accents. And it's also very likely that his earthly dad, Joseph, died when Jesus was young. It's not a pretty package. Peace doesn't mean your circumstances are peaceful. Peace is a person. And he provides peace in here no matter what life looks like. No matter what your life looks like. The problem is, is this is what our life looks like. And if you look around, it looks beautiful. And you're like, why does everybody look beautiful around me? But I look like this. Why do I feel like this? Why did this happen to me? And we try to control it. And we're moving the the wrapping paper around. We're doing whatever we can. But peace is a person. And it's peace in here. He is the prince of peace. And especially as we look at the wise men today... Peace comes from worshiping a king. So what made the wise men wise? Their worship. They traveled over 300 miles to do one thing and one thing alone, worship Jesus. They came for one reason, to meet a king in expectation. See, we're doing this sermon series called Advent. And Advent means to anticipate, to have expectation. Do we live in Advent in expectation, anticipation of meeting with our king every time we come in here to worship. It takes one meeting. How do you know that? How many of you have known this? The speaker can say all kinds of things, but it takes one worship song for the spirit of God to touch your heart and change it. How many of you know you need one touch from Jesus and it changes everything? But how many of you know that you have an enemy that wants to keep you away from worship? Because he knows what the Bible says. Most Christians don't know what the Bible says. It says that our king, our God, inhabits the praises of his people. It says when we start to worship, God fights for us. That scares him. And he wants to keep you away from worship. Do we have an expectant worship? The wise men expected to meet and worship the king. It says in the scriptures, they came from far away. And we have to speculate a little bit here. But most think it was over 300 miles that they traveled. It could have been a four to nine week journey. They were likely Arabs from Babylon who had been influenced by Daniel hundreds of years before when Israel was held captive in Babylon when they were taken there. Daniel, the Israelite, was probably the original wise man. He was like the original wise guy, right? He was the Magi. 
And they probably had his writings passed on down to them. The original name for wise men is magi. It's where we get our word magician. But it wasn't cultic or had to do with sorcery. They actually studied science, astronomy, they, um, astronomy, not astrology, and medicine and religion and culture. They were students of culture, and they were probably rulers over certain parts of lands. They were kings. We often think that the three magi, that there was only three, because we think the Bible says that. But the Bible doesn't really tell us. We only think that because there was three gifts, right? And, of course, the song, We Three Kings... But it was more likely there was somewhere between 14 to 100 in their caravan with armed men. They were like the protective service, the secret service surrounding these guys, protecting them. You didn't mess with these guys. They could safely pass through Herod and Roman occupation because they had power and standing. But think about it. How different is this from the shepherds? Remember last week when Dave spoke, he talked about the shepherds with the lowliest They weren't fit to go near the temple because they were thought of as unclean. And God comes to them, and that's amazing. But think of the contrast between the shepherds and the wise men. In contrast, the wise men represented power, prestige, knowledge, rulership, and riches. They're high society. They didn't smell bad like the shepherds, yet they are traveling weeks and weeks and weeks to worship Jesus who by the time when they got there was probably around two years old. Our tradition says they were there at his birth. But if you look at the scriptures, it's not that. And we'll look at that in a second. Actually, let's pick it up in Matthew 2. It says this, after Jesus was born, that's really key right there, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one was born king of the Jews. We have sought, we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So at some point after Jesus is born, they see a star and they start traveling and that star takes them to Jerusalem and then it disappears. And you'll see that in a second. So they've come from the east and come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Now catch this. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared He sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report him to me so that I may too go and worship him. So why did they go to Bethlehem? Herod told them to, right? After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star, suddenly the star appears. They had seen in the east, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. It's pretty cool. When they saw the star... They were overjoyed. On coming to the house, not a stable, not a place where you put animals, and coming to the house, Joseph's probably out working because it doesn't mention him. On coming to the house, they saw the child, not baby, this is the Greek word for child, with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures. 
and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned at another route. You see, they were wise because of their expectant worship. See, we come to church to worship the king. That's why we're here. There's something special when the body of Christ comes together and we worship our king. We have an expectance to meet with him. You see, they got an audience with the king of kings because they expected one. And I'm relating this to us. What do you expect when you come to church? Do you meet with God? Or do you not meet with God because you're not expecting to meet with God? Many of them lived. Think about this. Think about this. Many of them in Bethlehem lived right next door to Jesus. When he went to Israel, many of them passed by him. But it takes these Arabs that come over 300 miles in expectation to worship a king. You see, they weren't expecting anything. But notice it said, remember I told you to remember, King Herod was disturbed. Well, we kind of know why King Herod was disturbed, if you know the story. He was power, all the position, all that stuff. But it says, and all Jerusalem with him. I can almost hear them saying, who are these Arab foreigners asking about a king? It must have been all strange to them. Or was it? Look, it's been a year and a half since he's been born. It says in Luke that the shepherds told everyone in Bethlehem and Jerusalem about the Messiah being born. Forty days after childbirth, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to Jerusalem, five miles away to the temple to be dedicated. Simeon and Anna are well-known prophets in the temple at the time they bring Jesus. And those prophets and that prophetess express that they've seen Messiah. And it says, they didn't just go to Jerusalem, the word spread all over Israel. The news is out. There's a king The news is out. But notice an absence of worship on the Jews' part. The word is out at his birth in Jerusalem and Bethlehem. But who travels back from Jerusalem five miles back to Bethlehem to worship him, to serve him? And now it's been a year and a half or two years later. And these Arabs come 300 miles in deep reverence. Guys, I don't know about you, but I live less than a mile away from the church when I come to worship. And there are times that I forget why I'm here. I take it for granted. I get caught up in the outward things instead of the heart of worship. You see, sometimes we can be around something. Sometimes we can be around something and almost get so comfortable and so desensitized, we stop expecting to meet with the king. We stop saying, I'll follow you anywhere. You want me to go five miles back to Bethlehem? I'm there. I'll serve you. I'll do what it takes, Lord. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, we can be so about ourselves that we miss God. You see, it takes effort to worship. Worship is not based on how I feel. Worship is not based on how my week has been. It's not about me. It's about him. He is worthy of your praise. You see, it took a lot of effort for the wise men to come worship him. For the Jews around him, it would have taken very little effort, yet their hearts are cold. Sometimes we come to church, and it's like we're next door to Jesus. He's sitting right next to you, and we miss him. You know why I don't think they worshiped? We read it a moment ago in Matthew 2, 3. Herod and all those in Jerusalem were deeply troubled. 
Why would they be troubled if their Messiah had been born? Because they were in bondage to the Romans and sin. You see, sometimes we say we want the chains to be removed, but when it comes down to it, we're a little, we're good with the safety of the chains. They had no expectation that their king could do anything about their bondage. Do you have expectation that your king can do anything in your life right now, that he can do anything in your marriage, that he can do anything at your job? Do you believe and have expectation to meet with your king? You see, they had an unwillingness to change or that God could change them. They were comfortable in their bondage. You think they would want to be freed from Roman power? You see, there's a false sense of peace in bondage. We don't want to shake things up or maybe that grip by the slave master will get harder. It's just easier to stay where we've always been. It's easier to be comfortable. But in order to recognize the king is here, to live in expectation of meeting with him, I have to change. We have to change. We have to get out of our comfort zone. I can't worship God and stay the same. It's more than a song. It's when you live so close and you forget the king is here. Is that you? Do you believe he's in control? That the king can meet you at the point of your problems and predicaments? I don't need the present to be wrapped beautiful. It doesn't have to be perfect to have peace. I don't need the Romans kicked out of Jerusalem. It's not about my circumstances. It's do you recognize the king in your circumstances? But I think it was also pride that they didn't worship. What is it for us? For us, it's pride because I won't look manly or I won't look, I'll be undignified if I worship. In other words, I'm worried about what others think. Worship requires change. To posture yourself in humility. They're kings, but they're worshiping the king. Notice the wise men bowed. They bowed. That's a posture of humility. Kings don't bow, but they bow before this king. They're high society. And now in their, their holy house in Bethlehem, and they surrender the dignity the world has assigned to them because they're in the presence of the one who is more dignified. They surrender every title because he deserves all titles. Why? I think the wise men had the connection with Daniel's writings. I told you about Daniel in the exile just briefly earlier. I don't think they had all the scriptures, but I think they had things passed down that Daniel had written, prophecies that they had written. I think they had the connection with that. And they read the descriptions. I want you to listen to this. This is really for believers right now. I think they had read the descriptions of the Son of Man in the book of Daniel in the Bible. The Ancient of Days. They knew what he looked like before he ever hit the earth. Let me read a passage for you. What Jesus looked like before he ever hit this earth. It says, There were thrones set in place. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was white like wool. And I love this. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was opened, and the books were opened. In other words, they knew that this is the king who's judging all things. 
meaning everything is going to be judged by the king, and he is worthy to open up those books. He does what he wants with the powers of heaven, and he does what he wants with the peoples of the earth. It also says in Daniel, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and yet they now see the very image of God. You ever wonder why God in the Ten Commandments said, make no image of of God? Because he was going to send his image as his son, who's the exact representation of his being. You see, they had a glimpse, an eternal glimpse of who he was before he ever hit the earth. And now he's one to two years old, and they're staring at him in the face. The one whose throne is on fire, and now he's here in bodily form. You see, sometimes our picture of Jesus is too casual. We need an eternal view of our Savior. That's why we have no expectation of our King. Listen, he's not your bud, he's not your homie, he's your king, and he's a consuming fire. Sometimes we lack an eternal view of our Savior. And when you have an eternal perspective, you surrender all the human dignity and worth the world has assigned to you because it's all passing away. And you bow down to the one in the whom. I've had this picture of Jesus in my head that it says in Revelation that he had many crowns on his head. Do you guys remember the old hymn? I've been singing it all week. Crown him with many crowns. And what does it say at the end of the verse? All hail him as what? Our matchless king. Have you forgotten he is the matchless king? That he wears many crowns on his head? We need an eternal picture of him when we come to worship. At some point, you will have to realize the king is worth worshiping no matter what anyone thinks around you. Jesus set the captives free, right? Freed people freely worship. Are you free? So they came expectant to meet with the king and they bowed. And it says this, I love it. So the star, Herod sends them out. The star reappears. The star goes right over the house. And it says when they got to the house and they saw the star was right above it. It says they were overjoyed. It wasn't a little bit of joy. It wasn't no joy. In the Greek, it's exceedingly great joy. These kings are now undignified with joy. Do you have any joy in worship? No matter what the present looks like, no matter what it looks like in your life right now, do you come expecting an encounter with the king? Because when you do, you'll find joy. It won't matter what your circumstances are looking like. When you meet with the king and you get at his throne, joy is produced. You see, joy is produced by something. Great expectation produces great joy. Great expectation produces great peace, no matter what the present looks like. Do you have peace? Do you have joy? Do you realize he's here? He's with you. He's with you at the hospital. He's with you here. He's with you at home. He's with you in his car. Do you realize he's there? You don't have great joy because you don't have great expectations when you come to worship. If you got joy in your heart, listen, this is what my buddy Tom Carter says. If you got joy in your heart, then maybe you could inform your face about it. Right? Right, Beth? Beth's like, I can't believe you went there. That's his wife. Listen, I'm the same way. Sometimes we come into worship and it's like we have permanent bedhead of the soul. We're like, yeah, crown him with many. Crown him with many crowns. This is our matchless king we are worshiping. Isn't it amazing they had exceedingly great joy? And this is the time of year when we are told is the greatest season of depression and loneliness. 
Is it possible, is it possible that we have our expectations misplaced? Do you realize the more that you want to meet with him, more than you could ever want to? See, most of us just don't desire to meet with him. Let's be honest. I've been there. But do you realize whether you want to or not, he has more joy in meeting with you than you could ever have with him. He's waiting for you. How many kings wait for their people to come into his presence? That's not what kings do. You see, this king is different from the world. Usually when you go see an earthly king, it's usually curt and business-like, and the king ushers you out. It's all business. He doesn't really care about anything else. He just moves you on to your next, his next appointment. Listen, you are not his next appointment. You are his child, and he loves when you're in his presence. How excited would you be if you had a meeting with someone famous? You insert whoever that looks like. I don't know what that is for you, okay? Because you ask a four-year-old, Barney is the most famous person in the world, all right? But think about it. Whoever the most famous person is for you. We took my kids to uh, Disney, one of the Disney things. They keep changing names. I can't keep up with it. I think it was Hollywood Studios because we are like Star Wars fanatics, all right? And so we went, and um, Jen and I knew this, and we told our kids before they went that they were going to get to meet BB-8, Ray, and Kylo Ren. Well, my kids were like, we got to get our Star Wars shirts. we got to put them on. They were so excited. They barely slept thinking about their meeting with BB-8, Ray, and Kylo Ren. What about you? If you knew you were meeting Jesus today, you wouldn't sleep the night before. You'd wonder what clothes you'd wear. You'd rehearse what you'd say, right? How would you prepare for that meeting? Listen, I'm not saying that you have to dress up for church God looks on the inside, not the outside. It's about heart. But worship means we come prepared in expectation. Listen, you have an invitation with God's people every Sunday to meet with the king. I ought to be more prepared to come to church than that if I was meeting with a famous person because you're meeting with the famous person, the famous one. He may be rejected now, but he's the king of kings and lord of lords. You see, it's God's presence that separates us from any organization in the world. It's God's presence that separates us as a people from anybody else in the world. Worship is not a place. It's not a style. It's a person, a person we are meeting with, and he deserves our highest praise. How many of you know God is everywhere? It's called his omnipresence, his omnipresence. He was here when you showed up. But how many of you experience his manifest presence? When his spirit touches your heart, when he opens the eyes of your heart, when he touches you, whether you're in your home, in your car, or at church, there's a difference. You don't meet with him because you're not expecting to meet with him. So it says they bowed, they worshiped, and this is my favorite one. It says they, listen to this, they opened up their treasures and gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Notice it says they opened their gifts. See, usually when we give, what happens? The receiver opens the gift, right? And we stare at them. We're like, you better like what I got you kind of thing, right? But it says the wise men opened it. You see, when you present a gift to an earthly king in a royal court, you open the gift to see if it's acceptable. The king doesn't open it. You see, it's humbling to open our gifts and present it before the king 
because you're waiting to see, is this a worthy gift? Is this worthy of you? Will he accept it? Will he accept something that looks like this? Remember, this is the one that the wise men had heard of, that his throne is on fire, who is the image of God, and they're looking at him with these gifts. I think they were, and it doesn't say this in the Bible, I'm just speculating, but I think they were hesitantly opening these gifts before Jesus, saying, this is all we got, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because you see, they knew who he was. They knew how far he had traveled. They traveled far, right? But they knew he traveled further. They knew he came from heaven and that he gave more than they could ever give. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh are not good enough. It is dung compared to what the king deserves because this king was born to die. This king was born to be savior of the world. And I think they're presenting their gifts like, is it good enough? Waiting. And I think the father looked down from heaven. Remember, I'm just speculating. I think the father looks from heaven. He says, I'm looking at your heart. And because you have a heart of expectation that you would travel from miles and miles and miles just to be with my son, it's acceptable. Jeremiah wrote during the exile. He was a prophet during the time of Daniel. And I think they would have known. Again, I'm speculating. But I think they would have known this verse. Jeremiah wrote this. In that time in Babylon, he said, if, this is what God is speaking. He says, if you seek me, you will find me. When you seek me with what? All your heart, says the Lord. Our expectation, I love this. Our expectation in worship isn't based on how good enough we are, how the package looks. It's based on a promise that he will be there, that we will find him every time we seek him with all our hearts. See, often what we have to give the king doesn't look like much. Some of you are like, all I've got is brokenness. All I've got is a broken hallelujah. All I've got is this stuff going on in my life. I don't have much to give to the king. But he says, come to me. It's not the gift. It's the heart. You see, we're impressed by a lot, right? Oh, man, they're giving a lot. They're worshiping a lot. Man, it looks like they're doing worship calisthenics. I'm kind of one of those guys. I have to admit, I have to stay in the back because I want to move around and groove, all right? Because it's my king. Now, some of you be like, dude, is that guy like calisthenic gymnastics boy? What's up? You know? But it's not about that. It's about the heart of the gift of worship. Some of you may have noticed this odd thing over here. I love it. Ellie, my daughter, on a Saturday had been garage selling, and she burst through our door. And she was like, Daddy, 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 look what I got. Look what I got. And she gave me this. She says, I got one to match it. It will always remind me of you. And, it, and this will remind me. Or I'm not saying it wrong. You know what I mean. And she's like, Daddy, I remember you said you love roosters. I don't remember saying I love roosters. But I love this. Because my girl gave it to me. And this hangs out on my nightstand. I go to bed, and this is the last thing I see. I wake up, and this is the last thing I see. I have disturbing dreams. No, I don't. I don't have that. But this gift was from my child's heart that represented her and I's relationship. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. No matter what you're giving to your king, he just says, give me your heart. But notice, they had to open it up. He doesn't open up your heart. You open it up for him. 
And whatever's in there, whatever it looks like, you give to your king. They brought their best, most expensive gifts they could ever give. You see, expectant worship is extravagant worship. It's your best. It doesn't matter about the gift. It's your best. When you're expecting to meet with the king, you bring your best to the king. Our worship should be extravagant because his love is extravagant. Listen to some of the extravagant worship in the Bible. King David wanted to build a temple for the Lord. The Lord told him, your son's going to build it. You're not going to do it. But David gave to the building of the temple. Do you realize how much he gave in our current currency? $21 billion to build the temple. Would you say that's extravagant? It's pretty extravagant. King Solomon, David's son, who would build a temple, when he was made king, it, it was what you had to do when you were a king is you sacrificed one bull. And it was a, a worship and surrender to the king, saying you're the true king. But Solomon sacrificed a thousand bulls. I wonder if anybody around him is like, look, you only have to do one bull. That's all God required. That's all he's saying. Listen, just do 10. 10 would be more than anybody's ever. What about 100, Solomon? A thousand bulls because he knows he's the true king and he's worthy of our praise. Look, bulls were your, your, your livestock. It was cash. It was cash. It was a gift. It was gold, frankincense, and myrrh to him. This is my favorite one, my favorite in the New Testament. What about the woman who anointed Jesus' feet, who broke up in the alabaster, anointed oil for his burial? That's all she had to live on. She wasn't married. What she was saying is, I surrender my wealth and my future to my true husband. That's what she was saying. She was giving up all her rights. I love that. And sitting at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him. Here's another example of extravagant worship. The widow who gave two mites. It's less than two than pennies. It's barely a penny. And when Jesus saw her, he said, she's given more than everybody else because she gave what she had to live off of. Imagine the trust in her worship for her king. Listen, it's not how much you give, it's your heart. Tell you another extravagant gift in the Bible. Abraham offering his son Isaac. Would you call that extravagant or crazy? And here's one better than that. God gave his son God's Love is extravagant. We're just a bunch of dirty beggars. And God gave us the richest gift he could give us, Jesus. He loved you, and it would cost him that much to rescue you from your sin. He loved us first. While we were still his enemies, Christ loved us. What does God want for Christmas? He wants you, but only you can open your heart to him. Do you know Jesus if you don't know Jesus, it says call on the name of Jesus and you'll be saved. If the spirit of God is wrestling in your heart right now, just say, Jesus, come into my life. I don't understand everything, but I know I need a savior and I need a king. And he will save you. He died on the cross for your sin. Maybe you're a believer, but you're like, I don't have anything to give. I've got no worship. I can barely make myself sing. My life is like that present right now. I'm brokenhearted. Do you know God even wants your brokenness? Your heart 
is very sacred to God. Your heart is a treasure to him. In Isaiah 61.3, it says this. I love this verse. It says, he will give to or provide for those who grieve in Zion. See, our God's a giver. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. If all you've got is ashes, bring him ashes. Because he has a beautiful crown he wants to put on your head. If you're in mourning and you're like, that's all I've got to give. He wants to give you joy. And he wants to give you a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. He takes our ashes, our pains, our doubt, and trades it for his beauty. He gives us peace for our despair. What made the wise men wise? Their worship. What are you going to bring to the king? Whatever it is, bring it to him. Band, you can come up. The wise men were not too smart, not too wise, not too good, not too dignified, not too rich to bow and worship the king. Neither should we. What are your reasons for not worshiping the savior of the world? Do you expect to meet with the king? Will you bow your heads and let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are the ancient of days. That you are awesome in power. And Father, you do what you want with the powers of heaven. You do what you want with the angels of heaven. And you do what you want with the peoples of the earth. God, no one can thwart your plans. No enemy can stand before you. You are the eternal living God. Father, I thank you for your son, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And Father, I pray that we'd be an expectant church, God. I pray that we'd be a church that begins to worship, that offers what we have, which is nothing, Father. Even if we had everything in the world to give you, it would be nothing of what you truly deserve. You just say, come. Father, I pray today that you would trade those ashes that some people are carrying for your beauty, for that crown of glory as they persevere through their circumstances, God. God, I ask today that you would just give that oil of gladness to flow over your people, Father, as some of them are in mourning, Father, I pray that you meet them where they are at, Father, and you would delight in them, that you would sing over them as the scriptures say, Father. So God, I praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship. Let's be expectant of our God.